0: Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship and dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here as always with my good buddy, Nick. How you doing, Nick? Nick Houston. I'm here. <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, you're doing well. That's good. We have a special guest with us today, Reverend, Dr. Reverend Bill Birch. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm well, James. Thank is you it for Dr. having reverend me Dr. Reverend or Reverend Doctor?
1: If you're going to be formal, it is the Reverend Doctor.
0: Okay. When do you become the good Reverend Doctor? Is that...
1: I think that's a different tradition. That's a different tradition. Okay. All right.
0: right Reverend in the same category
1: as it, good Reverend? Yes.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's great to have you here uh, with us today, Bill. Uh, how's your Lent been going?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will say you're the first one who's asked me the question. Exactly that was. Yeah,
0: we've asked all of our guests that.
1: It's been an interesting journey. Uh, one of my litton disciplines was to spend more time in meditation and devotion, which has been a cutting edge for me. Actually, for the last three years, I have been moderately successful at it. Okay. Um, another one of my disciplines is I tend not to sleep through the whole night, and so I try to contemplate Scripture when I wake up in the middle of the night.
0: Okay. That's a good use of that time,
1: and it sometimes helps you fall back to sleep as well. <laughs> Depending
0: upon which scriptures you're looking at, I, I would suggest numbers if you want to fall back to sleep immediately.
1: One, two,
0: three, four. <laughs> do you want to? Uh, so you said you've been focusing on your meditation and and kind of thinking through scripture, I guess. And mm-hmm. do you want to say anything about like how do? You, what's your process for doing that? A uh,
1: couple of ways. First of all, I did some reading on what meditation looks like, both just generic meditation but also what that looks like in the Christian tradition and it's intriguing to me so much of it has to do with breathing Yeah. which as you well know when you trace back in the old New Testament a ruach a yeah. Hebrew for breath and new mind Greek means yeah. breath means spirit means wind and so to be able to tie those disciplines in together and then the contemplation of scripture I've really been focusing on Psalm 23 during Lent Okay. and I will take it one word, and then add the next word, and the next word. Okay. And then sometimes we'll even do it backwards, just to try to get some new insights yeah. into what the psalm means.
0: Do you try different translations too, or is it no,
1: uh, with, uh, no King no. James no. version? King James I, I, yeah, uh-huh. I, yeah. Well, for psalm, psalm twenty-three. 23 yeah. 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 that's yeah. the
0: that's the only way I can say it. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. the King <laughs> James <laughs> version. <laughs>
2: My uh, kids will know it in the King James version. Of course, because they
0: will. I'm guessing uh, meditation. Nick, is that something you you participated in? Something that you've practiced before, or I'm guessing not. not I with feel your like t- you're t- setting tissue. me up here. I'm, I'm not. I'm just asking a question.
2: You looking for me to say something inappropriate yeah, on yeah, this no. podcast? <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm guessing with your Baptist upbringing, meditation was probably seen as uh no, Eastern that's a, Buddhist. That, that's a crazy zen <laughs> spiritualist thing <laughs> See, that we don't right. need. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like my mom when uh <laughs> like yoga for the devil. I was about to say, like my mom with <laughs> yoga. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um okay, so But uh, I actually really enjoy yoga. You do yoga? yeah bill you do yoga
1: i like the low-fat version (laughs) with the granola yes and yeah some blueberries and some fruit
0: (laughs) that's funny we are uh just finishing up good friday and uh, not good friday we're just finishing up holy week And we'll be talking a little bit about what is happening uh, in the devotional, as far as this week has gone. As we're getting now, we're here at the end. We've reached the end of our journey that started all the way back in Advent, really, Um, and it's been a great journey. And I'm I'm excited and happy for all those who joined us in that journey. But before we get into that, just uh, some discussion on on what this week means uh, to you guys personally, and what it means to us as a church. This is this is the big week, right? This is our big week. Probably I mean arguably the most important week in the church calendar, some people like Christmas think Christmas is a little bit more important, but this is it this is the one so uh talk to me a little bit about holy Week and uh yeah how how did you how did you traditionally practice this and and what have you been you know what what does it mean to you this year? Well, we touched on this a little bit, I think in a past podcast, but
2: mm-hmm. you know Holy Week was all about the Easter cantata for me growing up, yeah, like that was the week leading up to Easter was, you know, maybe the weekend before, you know, you'd have the huge choir cantata, passion play, um, Easter egg hunt. Yeah. You know, that was the, that was the liturgy
0: of my upbringing. Yeah. So do you have a, like, I was trying to, I was talking to somebody earlier this week and I was mentioning the cantata. I was saying, you know, that's what we did growing up. Uh, for both Christmas and for Easter, mm-hmm. but I could not come up with a succinct definition of what cantata means. Like, I just music is you know. That's when we went and watched the choir sing, and maybe put yeah. on a little show or whatever. But is that it? I mean, is that is that a good definition of cantata? Can we just? I always thought it was yeah, yeah, musical. I mean, we we should have I mean, had that.
2: Michael Latin, right? Yeah, canta <laughs> Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> Where's Michael Devine when you do that? Yeah, no, we need another fact, Michael. Oh, phone a fact we should do that let's just text him <laughs> real call, quick let's just call him right now uh that's funny so what about you bill growing up what was uh, holy week like for you
1: easter egg hunt as yeah. a child was mm-hmm. the big thing and then as i became a youth sunrise service mm-hmm. we lived down in decatur and the youth along with some of the church would walk walk over to mathis dairy okay and have the sunrise service there and then that's come awesome. back to the church for sunday school and normal worship okay
0: that's great I do remember the Easter egg hunt was a big deal. I remember we did it at uh, somebody uh, in my grandmother's church. Like they had a big yard. We went over there and all the Easter eggs had like candy in them. But there was one like golden egg that had like a $5 bill in it. And whoever found that was like the true winner of Easter. Uh, <laughs> and I never found it. Was never me. It was never me. My brother found <laughs> it one year. Uh, but that's funny. I hadn't thought about that in forever.
1: Um, I remember sunrise,
0: sunrise Service too. I think we did that as well why did the church go to the dairy for the sunrise service
1: i really don't know now that you ask that i grew up at uh columbia drive methodist Mm -hmm. which is on the outskirts of decatur near i-20 and methodist dairy was part of the community i mean we was -hmm. back in the day when we got milk in the little glass jugs that the guy brought by oh there was a break of dawn yeah absolutely that's awesome and Rosebud I didn't think you were was that the call no. no, I am. <laughs> Rosebud was the cow at Mathis Dairy. You go visit it as school field trip, and they'd squirt milk in your mouth straight from the udder, unpasteurized. There's my- probably 14 laws against that now. That probably explains a lot about my generation. <laughs> Easter must have been really difficult during the Depression. Uh, I just don't know. <laughs> we had one egg, and we hit it over and
0: over again.
2: <laughs> uh. <laughs> and you still couldn't find them all <laughs> that's right did you
0: guys Isn't that ever the story of easter egg hunts did you guys do the the coloring of the eggs uh the, with the little Dye w- in the yeah, dyeing the eggs mm-hmm. yeah eggs. yeah we did that mm-hmm. that was
1: a big deal and i think PETA has outlawed this now it was back when you could also get the chicks oh yeah in different colors oh. you know they were yellow oh. they were pink they were blue oh wow they looked really bizarre when those be- colors began to grow out uh, yeah
0: Yeah, I, man. Ombre chickens. (laughs) We brought home, me and my little brothers, we brought home like five or six little chicks one time. They all died. I mean, it was terrible. It was like, why would you do that? Why would you give little chickens to?
1: They're the goldfish of the bird kingdom. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) the
0: goldfish of the bird kingdom. I like that story. uh what does this what does this week mean for I mean I think this year's a little different than obviously last year um and, well, and years we, before actually to have yeah an Easter service in person it's gonna be amazing I, I'm so excited like to actually do Easter this year uh since we didn't get to do it last year and to have people in the building and to have an outdoor service you know assuming I hope I hope we can do that if it doesn't rain or whatever um but what is it what is a uh, what does this week take on for you guys this year in particular uh what does it mean for us as a church you can take time to answer we can I, edit I that all time. the last one first
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting just holy week in general for me becomes i experience it on two different levels personally and professionally if i can use the word professionally Absolutely, yeah personally it's extremely meaningful and i think it becomes more meaningful as the years go on and you rehearse the events not just of Palm Sunday, skipping to Easter, but also every day in the significance. Professionally, it's busy. As y'all well know, we're meeting in worship team today. We're planning six services for Easter Sunday, Holy Thursday service, Good Friday service, plus just the normal work of the church. And so on the one hand, it's very meaningful. On the other hand, you're so busy. It's, I used to laugh and say, as a pastor, I believe in Easter on Monday yeah, because Sunday yeah. is so busy.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I So um I wonder if uh if you wouldn't mind like uh breaking that down a little bit more when you say you experience it professionally and then personally that I think that's probably a way a lot of church we probably have a similar uh, feel on that but what does that what does that mean for you uh, as far as meaning goes like so like do you do you feel we have how many services we're gonna have seven different services throughout holy week eight, eight one okay. one thursday one friday six sunday and and six to, those six on sunday are going to be pretty much the same you're going to be preaching the same message and 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 doing that and and i guess it's the same way as with christmas well, when they're back to back back, to to back, back. To yeah back. Do, you, do you get the time the moment to really <clears throat> in each service like to, to soak in that this is easter that this is Resurrection, Resurrection
1: Day. No, That's a great question. I think it's a general question for those of us who lead worship. How do you worship in the yeah. midst of worship? And sometimes, if to be quite frank, you don't. You know, you're so busy with the logistics thinking what is next. And then other times the Holy Spirit catches you unaware. Yeah. For the example, this past Sunday during the Palm Passion Sunday when the choir sang at the end of the service, oh, my goodness, and bring you to tears. When yeah. I survey the Wondrous Cross. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, fantastic. I had um obviously I mean we all have friends that are in the ministry and um I remember in a Bible study one time (laughs) yeah one or two right Uh, I remember I was doing a Bible study with a group of them one time and we were talking about how how um how just blind and deaf and dumb really the Pharisees were and and the Jewish leadership was but then one guy older kind of an older uh, he was much older than we were. Uh, pastor, who was part of the Bible study, he said, "Well, you know, guys. I mean, I I understand what you're saying, but like, if you were like, if you were like us, you know." He he said basically, like, I get into that mindset of like, get rigid about it, I get cold about it, I get like methodical and, and professional and kind of detached from it, like the Pharisees and the and Jewish leadership had. And so I can see where they're coming from, uh, in a sense of like, fresh and new is is, is, is as as kind of. Uh, going bucking the system, you know, or it might it might upset the the very nice pattern that we've developed, or just going through these emotions all the time it 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 has a it can have a a dampening effect, I think, on the heart. Uh, so I, that's one of the reasons why I asked that question, because I, I definitely feel that myself from time to time.
1: I think that's a good insight, and yeah. you have to guard against it constantly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nick, what about you? From your perspective as the executive director here at Northside Church, what are you what are you pulling from this week? What are you Where's the meaning coming for you this week?
2: You know, as y'all have mentioned, it's a lot of logistics. Um, Logistics in a different way this year. Not as busy with crowds since we are limiting attendance. But um, you still have to have all the right processes in place, you know, to get everybody where they need to be and um, try to create that great Easter experience for the congregation. And um, also find a place in the middle of that to worship yourself, you know. And I'm I'm jumping through the three-ring circus of what do I do with my family of six? <laughs> yeah. Where are we going to worship? Are we going to worship together? Um, you know, so it is, uh,
0: it'll be busy. It'll be busy. Yeah. I would say, cause you have the same, you're not, t- you're not typically in, in part of worship and worship planning and, 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 and leading worship, but you're behind the scenes putting a lot of pieces together every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And when we have these big events, you're, yeah, you're, I'm in the you're, background. You're doing a lot of stuff in the background. So I had the same question, you know, like, how do you find those moments to be like? Yeah, when the it sometimes
2: it's in the narthex listening over the speakers, and sometimes it's opening the door to sneak in the back for a minute. You yeah. know, sometimes it's standing along the windows in contemporary worship. It just depends on where there is the lull. Yeah, yeah. And I just take the opportunity where the spirit moves.
0: There you go. There you go catch you unaware. Catch you unaware it well, as we talk about uh, Holy Week this week, we have this devotion that we put together here at Northside Church, and uh, we've been following the story of uh, the exodus and exile during Lent. And as we come here now to the end, we are talking a little bit about the... Uh, <laughs> As, as Bill blows dust Bill off just, the cover. Well no 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 he had a great idea actually. Do you remember Scratch and Sniff?
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I felt sand on the front.
0: I thought oh, maybe. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they smell like the ocean.
2: Yeah, the next devotional it needs to be about a fragrant offering to the Lord and we're gonna oh, do a scratch and that's sniff cover. It's not a bad uh, idea. Yeah. It
0: comes with a little packet that you can like put on as perfume or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you gotta go. We gotta just run with it. Just run with it. I like it. Um so, so this week we're we're talking a little bit about uh, obviously Jesus' last week, but putting that in the conversation with uh, the exile and and the Israelites' um, life in exile together. Um, I don't know. So let me just ask you guys a general question as we jump into it. Did you guys what what jumped out to you as you as you looked through these texts, these scriptures, this uh, this uh, devotional this week? What what major themes jumped out to you guys?
1: For me, it actually recalled a very poor sermon I wrote in seminary. That's not reflecting on your writing, <laughs> but on my sermon. <laughs> and I remember trying to put together a sermon that paralleled the Easter story with the Exodus story. Okay. And of them approaching the Red Sea, and that's death for them, and then God opening the Red Sea and trying to parallel that to the cross and the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Which, in my mind, mate, was brilliant in execution, just not so much. But then to lay aside that the exile as well, I, I think there's there's multiple dimensions to that. Yeah. Each story informs the other. Yeah, I think that's right. And as you've said, they're prototypes for one another.
0: Yeah, I think that's right too. I, I like to call it the big uh, the big three E. Right, so it's you know ex- Exodus, exile, and Easter. These three events kind of are, are all tied together. I think in scripture.
1: Copyrighted, Doctor James Johnson. That's that's right.
0: (laughs) I had to work on that name; made it more flashy. Um, So, so let's let's talk about that for just a minute. Then, Um, as we as we kind of reflect back on Exodus as well, um, I think a lot of Christians don't see the connection between the exile and and Holy Week or or Lent or the Resurrection. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about what well, that's kind of what we've been trying to do in this devotional. But uh, as we now approach this final week, um, what are some of those connections? You know, what are some of those things that do um, make this story one big story rather than the Old Testament and New Testament? What do you guys what do you guys think? Nick, what do you uh, you've been with me on this journey for the most part? I mean, I think that the the, the parallel
2: you make through the course of the week um, of God's promise to redeem His people, yeah. He follows through. You know, the exile does end; the people do return to the promised land, and we have a promise in Jesus Christ fulfilled um, that we are the people of God. So, yeah. I mean, it's laid out there pretty hard.
0: It's laid out there pretty pretty <laughs> hard, as He says. Um okay, all right, Bill, do you have any any further thoughts on that? No <laughs> my answer is no um, Well, let's talk then about uh the reflection on Monday. Uh, we talked about the uh, a pretty famous passage out of Jeremiah. Um, and so even, when, even, those, even those Christians who don't read the Old Testament all the time have probably read Jeremiah 31, um, which says, and just to, to quote a little bit of it, he says, uh, Jeremiah says, "...the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. And it won't be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They broke that covenant with me, even though I was their husband. This covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time." And I will write my laws upon their hearts. I will write my instruction upon their hearts. This is um, this is what we point to. I think we point back to this this passage when we read Jesus, you know, gathering with the disciples in the book of Luke uh, for the Last Supper, and he says, "This is the new covenant of my blood." Right? I think we point back to this and say, "Ah, this is it. This is the moment. This is the new covenant." He's talking about. I'm I'm curious uh, to ask you guys um, what you think about. This idea of it being a new covenant. Uh, so let me let me just let me throw that out to you guys. What does this mean for it to be a new
1: covenant? My reflexive theological answer from my teenage years would be, well, the old covenant was the law; the new covenant is grace. I think that's simplistic, however. Yeah. Because it's, I think we are constantly tempted to divide god in Old Testament, New Testament yeah. God—whereas you. Continue to point out there is a thing that runs throughout, and so it's grace involved, regardless.
0: Right. That grace has always been part of the story. Exactly. Right? So yeah, I like that. This is not as though grace is just as a new thing that God is doing. He's all. I mean, grace is.
2: Well, and I like the highlight of the new covenant was not because God broke the covenant. The new covenant is because the people, yeah, couldn't keep the first covenant. Yeah. So. Let's try this new approach. Let's try this new approach, or not completely new approach, but.
0: Yeah. So, what, so one of the problems, I think one of the things we run into when we talk about, uh, in the way that you just laid it out a second ago, grace versus law, or we talk about it in terms of New New Testament versus Old Testament, and we mm-hmm. talk about it in terms of Israel versus the church, it's almost as though God gave up on plan a and went to plan b which was jesus christ as though he wasn't always part of the plan but there there's a theological issue with that because if god has a plan b then maybe he has a plan c and a plan d and you know what does that mean for us it's one of the things that one of the the themes that really tied these two devotionals together for me anyway was this idea that that the promise came first the promise to abraham came before the covenant came before uh the blessing it came before anything else that the promise that God makes Abraham and that's the thing that connects these two together um before the law before the law it came before all of that it's the promise was the first thing that was given uh, and this is this is a, a, a an argument that I think Paul himself makes in I think it's Romans chapter four when he's talking about that the promise came before him mm-hmm. what do you guys think about that idea of you know God having a plan a a plan b is 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 it Am I do I overthink that too much or is that just
2: I don't know. You took it a step further a second ago and that threw me for a loop. Plan C.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rotro. Rotro.
1: <laughs> well, I think part of our struggle is how we see time and is God in time, is God above time. Yeah. I don't see it as a plan A and plan B. I see it as a continuation. Yeah. That one prepared for the next. Mm-hmm. It's interesting our um summer worship series is going to be on the 10 commandments, which I've started doing some preliminary work on that. And this is one of the passages that I've been drawing on of where does the law fit within Mm -hmm. the Christian experience? Because Jesus didn't say I abolish it. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. So obviously even for Jesus, the law was a framework in Mm -hmm. which grace occurs, but it's more than the letter of the law.
0: Right, right get down to the spirit of law. And we talked about this a little bit last week mm-hmm. about your little accounting thing that you brought up. Yeah, we've got
2: a rules-based accounting system in the United you know, States we're not versus gonna, we're a gonna get into concept-based accounting system in the international
0: arena. Uh, we did an accounting 101 class last week. Uh, I'm sorry I missed uh, that. I yeah, no, I know. It was, uh, it was pretty terrible. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> did it make it in? it made it in. It made it in. <laughs> it made it in. Uh, but I, I do think it speaks to... Um, you know, one of the questions to ask about the law um, and about the covenant that was made with uh, the Israelites at Mount Sinai is what was the purpose behind it? What was the motivation? What What was the real spirit of it, right? And so uh, shaping a people, I think, is one way to talk about it. And, and fulfilling the promise, I think, is another way to talk about it. And I don't think those things fall away, right? That kind of spirit of the law continues into what Jesus has to say. And this, you could read the Sermon on the Mount as being Jesus taking the law even further than just you know what is it how do you take stone tablets on the wall and then write them on human hearts um, and that, that's the work of Jesus is doing and so when I think about when I think about the New Covenant I, I think about it in terms of it being new in terms of of how it is is given and how it is received not new in content not new in 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 spirit I guess to get back to what you were saying bill does that make sense uh, what do you guys
1: it did
2: i got a rabbit trail for us let's go i got a rabbit trail for us because i've been been thinking about this and i don't know exactly where this is going to go but you know we have talked before about what an emphasis and i think we even talked about it a little bit last week what an emphasis um, some christian traditions put on reading scripture yeah how seriously important it became since the protestant reformation and the invention of the printing press yeah to read scripture for yourself and it is a real interesting space to read about the law being written on our hearts rather than on stone tablets so what does that mean to think through like has is there is there a possibility that in our zeal for reading the scripture for ourselves we have lost some other practice that perhaps we should have engaged in um or that, that, that you know 1500 years of church history existed before yeah easy access to reading came along so what were you doing in that space before and is reading it yourself necessarily better right or different in any event yeah what can you do to have this written on your heart rather than on the page i don't know no, that's that a
0: great question. I think part of the answer gets back to your practice during Lent, Bill, is the, the meditation, and that practice of meditation was around for hundreds of years before the printing press. But Bill, I mean, what do you, what would you say to the young Nick as he comes to you for advice? That, that, I think that's a great question.
1: Well, I would talk about rules based versus concept based <laughs> accounting. Accounting,
0: he will, he will get that. He will understand.
2: That will connect to a place inside me. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: what I discover over and again in the Christian faith is more times than not it's both and rather than either or. Yeah. And one of the challenges is to hold in tension all of these things because as human beings we want to let go of the tension and go one way or the other. Yeah. And I think it's true in politics, I think it's true in theology, I think it's true in, it's both and yeah. and you gotta somehow in the the dynamic middle figure out how you hold those things in tension. Yeah, it's important to study God's Word. It's important to do individual reading. But then how does that form and shape your soul so that it's not—so that we don't, as sometimes we do, uh, I'm I'm doing some study about idolatry. And idolatry is anything that commands our attention or God and something else— and sometimes we can make an idol of the Bible. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I served a church where disciple Bible study was one of their idols. I mean, you had to do it a specific way, or it did not oh, wow. please God. And you know, and you see that in the church. So Nicky I'm going down my own it, rabbit trail Nicky here.
2: You
0: wouldn't make it in that disciple <laughs> program.
2: Well, the the thing the thing that comes to mind is just you know so much emphasis on individual study that you say, oh, I don't need a church.
0: Yeah, that's a serious problem.
2: Yeah, and I don't think that. You you get where you're trying to go without a community. And I'll go ahead and do a plug for a Disciple, because I really enjoy that small group yeah. Bible
1: study. And this is kind of a, a, a tangential way of getting back to the question we talked about a few moments ago about Old Covenant and New Covenant yeah. and talking about Scripture. We read Paul's words, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for. Well, Paul wasn't talking about the New Testament. He was writing the New Testament when he said that. He you don't was
0: talking... think Paul was thinking about his own words as he read it? All of this is god This is good stuff, guys. This is
1: good stuff. <laughs> he was talking about Hebrew yeah. Scripture. He saw a continuation yeah. between what had occurred with the Jewish people and what was now occurring in this, yeah. in this new covenant with the Christian people.
0: No, And I often wonder if Paul knew that what he was writing was going to be considered holy scripture one day, if he would have written a little differently or been a little bit more clearly, <laughs> a little more clear. Um,
1: I sometimes laughed about that in seminary. We do these exegetical uh-huh. studies where you would take each word that Paul wrote and you would look at it in the Greek and come up with all these different derivations and what he must have meant. And I thought... He was probably just sitting there writing with the flow of the spirit. You know, yeah, he wasn't absolutely. thinking about what yeah. this
0: conjunction was. And <laughs> could you imagine somebody like two thousand years from now taking one of your sermons, one of your sermon texts, and trying to figure out what did, what it? I Merch cannot. Mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, that, it's just, two it's weeks baffling. from now, no, yeah, I cannot yeah.
1: imagine that. This is well, baffling.
2: And if you approached him with a question now about is it supposed to be in or of, and he goes, meh, same difference." <laughs>
0: It's like uh, preposition is never my strong suit. Right. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. No, and I think that gets back to it. But I, so let's get um, talking about this idea, Nick, that you brought up of of um, have we been doing something wrong, or have we dropped something? That, because we've read, we've we've focused on the Bible so much, or maybe we've idolized the Bible in some cases, um, and and the individual reading part, forgetting the fact that the book was written for. Communities by communities, you know. But yeah, and
2: in case my mom ever hears this, I am reading my Bible,
1: (laughs) King James Version.
2: That's right, with the unicorns. Uh, I updated a little bit, New American Standard.
1: (laughs) Well, that's good. That's
2: a
0: good one. If if God, so if, if this, in the New Covenant that he's talking about here in Jeremiah, if God is trying to move this, the law from the stone tablets to the human heart, what does that mean? What is it that he's actually... That's all metaphorical language, right? But what is, it, what is God actually... or What is God saying through Jeremiah here? What does it mean to move from the stone tablets to the human heart? And, and maybe that'll help us answer the question about whether or not we're, we've left something behind, a practice or something that we've left behind that, that we might need.
1: The image that immediately comes to mind is relationships we have with one another, whether it's marriage or parenthood mm-hmm. or friendship if you truly love the other person, yeah, there are things you do because you ought to do them and you should do them and you promise to do them, but you also do them because you want to do them. Yeah. And to me, that's the difference. The letter of the law is, yeah, here's here are the boundaries, here are the things. These are no press passing signs. Don't go past these because somebody's going to get hurt. Yeah. But that ultimately we express our love to God because we want to. Yeah. That it's a part of who we are, a part of that relationship that woos and calls us.
0: So you see that the... Writing on the human heart then is is about shaping our motivations and intentions and absolutely our, our desires right yeah I like that I like that a lot I like the I like the way he explained that yeah that yeah. was good
1: not have to but get to
0: I might reuse that so if if that's if that's what it is and I I think that's right what are we not doing that's that's helping us you know that's that is that's keeping us from doing building it like that you know so reading scripture by yourself is not going to help you. You know, if that's all you're doing, if all you're doing is reading scripture by yourself in in a in a room somewhere, um, you're you're not building relationship with other people by doing that necessarily. Now, it may help inform your your relationships, but you're not actively engaging. You know, it's very easy to just lock yourself away and get to know the Bible and never get to know another human being. Um, so, what what is it we're not doing? What what's the thing that we are leaving out then? Or are we? I mean, I'm it. At- putting it into practice
2: okay. i mean it's kind of like going to school and learning to be an engineer but then actually building a building yeah or, yeah you know like the yeah i've learned all about it but learning about it and actually practicing it can be different yeah and so you know putting what we've learned putting what we've studied
0: putting what we meditated on into practice um So, and how do you do that, though? I mean, like, so you put it into practice, but what's, what are the things that you're doing to do that? Or what is the thing you're participating in? I'm leading you the path here. Here's here's
2: the one I'm going with is, um, you know, last week we had the Tornadoes, um, Newton got hit particularly hard and the church has an early response team that works in conjunction with UMCOR to go help
1: united methodist committee on relief thank you bill um, <laughs> um
2: to go help yeah and so i'm going to go help
0: we got a group of us going yeah. yeah
2: yeah um so there are places where we have opportunities and we need to take those opportunities to help in 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 that case it's help um i think in other cases it's this is not one i'm particularly great at but if people are grieving how do you grieve with them yeah if people are joyful how do you rejoice with them,
0: yeah, um, it's how do you live life together? How do I mean, we participate? Yeah. yeah what do you think, Bill? You got?
1: when Nick was talking about study and practice it, the paradigm I always go back to I learn in seminaries word and world, and usually you use I use that at least when I'm talking about preaching and teaching. You start with a word, you apply it to the world, you start with the world, you ask what the word has to say. if you don't make that connection between the two then either one is sterile and i yeah. think that's part of what we're talking about i think that's mm-hmm. right
0: yeah is it so does it help to go from one to the other is, it, is there one that has primacy in that in that movement between world and world ro- world word and world
1: for me it doesn't as long as wherever you start you end up with the other as well okay i think there's sometimes we see things in the world and it drives us to scripture to ask the question yeah. what does god's word to have to say about it other times we read a story in scripture Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. Am I supposed to go on a mm-hmm. mission trip? Am I supposed to help my neighbor? Am I supposed to call somebody who's hurting? Yeah. And I think that's how we struggle and wrestle with what faith means in our lives.
0: Like that. does it Carl Bart that said uh, you got to read the Bible? He had a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. So you you got it's the Carl
1: Bart or Mark Twain? It's, yeah, you know. it,
0: it's always Mark Twain or Oscar <laughs> Wilde. Probably not Oscar Wilde. With that one. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. Um. So, so then the, the practices that we need to be engaging in are practices of just living life together, I think, is, is one way to say it. Serving each other, looking for ways to put what we learn in Scripture into practice. Uh, and you might be able to I mean, that's, that's what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, that is, that's what he is. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do we build trust with one another and live in relationship with one another? And it's a lot more than just don't kill each other. It's also you can't hate each other right it's not just you can't commit adultery you can't be lusting after other other people in the community too right you
2: can't even want to kill each other You're right
1: right can't even call somebody a fool exactly right (laughs) oh yeah that was real bad so i use other words
0: (laughs) (laughs) that was a really bad word back then i guess um yeah I, i like that i mean i think that's i think that's what jeremiah is trying to get at here with the with talking about the new covenant and what it means to to write the, the instruction on the hearts. And one of the things I love about this passage is where he says, you know, we won't even have to teach each other know the Lord anymore because we'll all know it because we'll be doing it, right? We'll be practicing mm-hmm. it. And that's, I think that's what he's doing.
2: One of the things that came to me as Bill was talking, um, With the instructions that are on your heart, there is a, uh, whether that be, you know, going on a mission trip or, you know, being a minister to someone, how are those instructions different for each of us? You know, as the spirit moves, as we have our gifts and our talents, you know, um, there are things that uh, James is going to be called to do and Bill's going to be called to do that are not going to be suitable for me and vice versa. And... I think part of being being in tune and, and having God change your heart is also knowing what the right place is for you. Yeah. Um and, and what it is that you're supposed to be doing for your part in the kingdom. How you use your gifts.
0: That can be that can be hard to figure out sometimes. Again, that's <clears throat> another role for the church, the community to play to help you figure out what your gifts are, right, in your your place.
1: Um, no, I think that's a good insight, and I think the majority of time, the Holy Spirit's wanting to pair our passion, our abilities, our gifts with the world's need. Sometimes, however, I think God's just waiting for somebody to show up. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's whoever comes in the door. <laughs> you know, all these other people had those gifts and that right. passion. They hadn't come. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody's yeah. got to teach a second grade Sunday school class that's this coming right. Sunday. Sometimes God calls the equipped. Other times God equips the called. That's right, though. I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I,
0: I so I think that's part of the freedom of Christ. I think this is part of why the how we receive the law and how it's given to us, how we receive the instruction of the Word, um, is 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 different in the sense of. And maybe this was the problem with the law it was that the law seems to be very rigid. Like you do have to just plug into wherever the law tells you to plug into. You have to do the things the law tells you to do. Whereas maybe now the Spirit is a more uh, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is is there's a little bit more freedom for you to to plug in wherever god has given you passion or given you drive you know maybe that's not right i don't know if i want to go down that path too far but there's
2: yeah, something that, there some idea. that feels like it's getting dicey if we keep talking
0: yeah yeah
1: and maybe it's not a great analogy but it's a little bit like raising children at the start they have a ton of rules yeah first to protect them for safety second of all you want to begin to model for them what ethical moral behavior gets looks like But the ultimate goal of parenthood is planned obsolescence. You want to create a human being who doesn't need those external boundaries but has internalized it. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. But
0: We were talking about that last week in the sense of there are some kids that you have to be really just like lay it out for them. You know, you got to do this, 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 and don't do this, this, this. Uh, And there's some kids you're just like, look, just don't be. Don't be an idiot. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I, I trust you, <laughs> right? So there's, I saw, I think, a level of maturity there too. So you, you know, someone like Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God embodied, has the maturity, obviously, and the, and and the 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 spirit upon him in such a way that he can choose to break the Sabbath in order to heal somebody. It's because the the law itself is not, you know, it's not made for, uh, you know, man isn't made for the the law, but the law is made for man, and so you can. You, with maturity, you can begin to make some decisions that aren't just tied to the, 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 the text itself, the law itself, whether you're talking about the Old or New Testament, uh, that the Spirit of God can allow some freedom there. Does that make sense? I don't...
1: I had a I flashback to, yeah. a moment ago to Dr. Farrell Sam's novel, Run with a Horseman. It's about this young boy growing up in the 1930s South, and his father says, he's a good boy. I just can't think of enough things to tell him not to do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I feel that. Yeah, you get a couple of those in your house, don't you?
2: Well, it's amazing the stuff that I've had to say over the years that it never occurred to me. I would have to say. Right.
0: One of the things that we talk we don't talk about a lot, I think, in in the Methodist Church, uh, is judgment and 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 not even just judgment, but um, uh, accountability for for now that we've decided we're going to be Christians and we decided that we are going to put put into practice and have these laws written in our hearts. Uh, what does that look like? And so on on the Wednesday devotion, I we we jumped into the sheep and the goats passage, which Jesus teaches from the temple on his during his last week uh, on the planet, and uh, it's a it's a pretty dark passage. It can be considered a pretty dark passage. It's got some apocalyptic tones to it as well, but. Uh, one of the things that I noticed the, f- the, the time reading through it this time that I didn't I, had, I don't think I've noticed before is that as Jesus goes to separate the sheep and the goats, so the sheep are the ones who are going to enter into the kingdom of God and the goats are the one the ones that are going to uh, be be kicked out and depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, one of the things I noticed as as I was reading at this time is the sheep and the goats aren't they aren't individuals. they're nations. They are groups of people. They are communities of people, uh, at least in the way that that I read it this time through, and I, that jumped out to me only because we all I've always read this text as being like, what, you know, are you a sheep or a goat? But if we were to, you know, talk about it on a community level, you know, is Northside Church a sheep or are we a goat? You know, when we when we're all, when we're held accountable together as a church, what what do what do we look like? And so putting that stuff into practice, as you were talking about, Nick, mm-hmm. he talks about it here as, as you know, when I was hungry, you know, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you wel- you welcomed me. You know, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And, you know, uh, pretty good, solid list, right, of things that we mm-hmm. should do in order to show the love of God and, and to show that the law has been written in our hearts. I don't, so what do you guys think about well, I'm glad that you brought it this up because
2: I circled it in the book because, you know, my collectivist communist <laughs> alarms went off. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> so I was hoping throat> throat> I was hoping we would discuss. we we'll um, about Karl Marx. Where that's going. You know, maybe not that far. Yeah, let's not
0: go that far. All right. So what do you think?
2: Same kind of thing. Like I had never the way the when it says the nations will come to him to be judged. It doesn't say he will separate the nations. It says he will separate them. So, like, did you take this back to? But them is is a, is
0: directly referring back to the nations. Back to the nations. Yeah.
2: So yeah, I mean, I always assumed that was just a large gathering of the people. Yeah. <laughs> but then the people were going to be picked <laughs> be- out, divvied out. Yeah. And, so, and
0: certainly, and certainly, that's one way to read it, right? So I, I'm not, I'm not in any way saying what I've suggested here is the authoritative way to read it. But, but I think just it's for interesting, the sake of conversation, well, I think it's interesting to read it like that because I think that would also line up more with with how scripture talks about judgment you know when when scripture talks about judgment or uh, or this kind of final you know when god makes the final decision about who's who's in and who's out or when god you know whenever that moment that last day happens it almost always talks about it almost always talks about it in terms of nations and communities and groups when we're talking about israel being exiled they're not they're not exiled as individuals they're exiled as a community of people and surely not every single person that went into exile was unfaithful. In fact, we know that Ezekiel, one of them, wasn't. Ezekiel was a good guy. So I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not that has any impact on how we think about it as Northside Church.
1: I will certainly say American Christianity is focused on the individual. It's my relationship with God. Yeah. And so I do think there's a, a strain there, a strand there, that, that's worth exploring. I'm like Nick. I would not see the antecedent as nations, but the nations are gathered before him, and now he's dividing he's up the up people, people yeah. Yeah, between the. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think it's the community of faith in which you choose to live or are called to live is certainly a part of that. That Christianity is not an individualistic yeah. relationship; it is a communal relationship. Yeah. So that's I've never considered that before. <laughs> I think it's intriguing.
2: Well, and we have had conversations in the past on. Kind of the theological meaning of a word versus the patriotic meaning, like when we talked about freedom or we talk about truth. Um, And so here, when we talk about nations, the first meaning of that word to me is kind of the geopolitical boundaries that we've laid over the land. Right. But
0: in this context, what would they really have meant about nations? Well I mean the word is the same word as used <clears throat> for the word the kingdom when it says kingdom of God. So it's basilea and it so it's the so that's it's the same it is a political word. I mean it's very much a geopolitical word, but so is the kingdom of God. Like so the we we like to split those things up into well, the kingdom of God's a spiritual thing that exists over here or up there. And and the kingdom of humanity or the kingdom of America or the kingdom of wherever is down here on the earth and in the mud. But in the Bible, they overlap. I mean they're they're touching each other anyway. They're in a space together.
2: So the nation one of the nations could be the kingdom of God?
0: I think that's what's being decided, who is uh. part of the kingdom of God. Right? So, um and like I said, it can be read it can be read and it has been read in the in the individualistic sense.
2: Oh no, we're reading the it your way, but a little bit here. But
0: it's just to play with that idea, I, I I just think what it does is something that we need more of which is it it challenges a community um, let's say let's say we think about Northside Church as, as being one of those nations it challenges a community of people who are decided they're going to be together and, and live life together whether they're going to do that as a church or, or a, a social club or whether they're going to do it as a, as a whole nation however, the, however the, whatever group you want to talk about
2: a city a county a, a city
0: a county whatever Right, a group of people who are intentionally living together and sharing life together be accountable for each other because they're going to be judged together and that that just opens i think a whole different way of thinking about well what's my responsibility now to the church it's not just to make sure that i'm being the best christian i can be but it's also to help my brother and sister walk faithfully as well and to allow them to help me you know it's, it's about being uh open um it's about being willing to see where we need to improve and to be able to see where we need to grow. And it's about being the body of Christ and playing the role that I have to play, but making sure that the body is healthy together. I don't know. Maybe and maybe.
1: For those of us who hated group projects in seventh grade, that's kind of a frightening thought. It is.
0: It is. Yeah. The church is just one big group project. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: okay. We need a new T-shirt. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, and you're talking a little bit about the difference between the visible and the invisible church. Yeah. And uh, if you think about a Venn diagram, circles overlapping like you were talking about, if one circles the church and the other's the kingdom of God, you know, optimists think they overlap each other, that they're the same, and pessimists say they don't even touch. Yeah. And the reality is they probably overlap.
0: Yeah. Hopefully. Probably
1: some folks that we don't identify within the life of the church that are a part of the kingdom of God and maybe vice versa as well.
0: Yeah. That's maybe a good way to think about it. I've I've thought about it as as uh the Venn diagram being like one circle is like the kingdom of man or the kingdom of humanity and one circle is the kingdom of God. And the church is supposed to be that place that overlaps in between two that participates in yeah. both, right? Um
1: but, That's the right uh, way to look at it, yeah.
0: But um but the idea that there are people outside the church that are part of the kingdom is not is not foreign to to scripture either, so
1: but they'd be better off if they were at yes, Northside Church. Be.
0: Right. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as, as we finish up our, our conversation here today, guys, uh, Good Friday has always been kind of um, an interesting, like on, why, why we call it Good Friday, you know. Uh, it's always been like, an interesting day that kind of stands out as a day that is a sad day uh, for us as Christians, but also in a weird way, a, a good day, a, a good Friday, um, with the Word of God incarnated, uh, giving his life for all of, all of creation, all of humanity. Um, the way that I reflected on it here in the, in the devotional was to talk about in terms of, of the fact that, that Jesus is the Word of God who has, you know, the first sacrifice that God makes is to become an exile himself. God becomes an exile, exiles himself from God to become a human being and that there is obedience the cross becomes the the result of that so we god sacrifices to become one of us and then our response to that sacrifice is we kill god we silence the word or at least we try and for a moment we do uh what do you guys what are your reflections on what good friday means to you or 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 any response to this stuff that i wrote here but what are your what do you do with this day what does this day mean to you
2: i found your weaving together of the first chapter of John and second chapter of Philippians. Pretty neat.
1: Yeah. Yep.
2: Why? Um It's that 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 the continuity to be found through scripture and the way that the way it works together. I mean yeah. Yeah. To, to 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 step back and just remember, hey, this is not written all in one go this is not like how when you write the devotional you know (laughs) you're programming it all yeah um right this is a lot of authors thoughts over a period of time and are they riffing off each other maybe so yeah but um the way that we get that kind of consistency that thread and to pull it together yeah It, it was really cool i thought
0: it was i liked it a lot well that's good I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm that's one of the ways that I read scripture and, and try to teach it is I'm always looking for the dialogue. You know, look what if a passage says something, there's another passage of scripture somewhere else that's replying to that. Maybe it's taking it further. Maybe it's it's in conversation with it. Um, but there's always some kind of dialogue going on. And, and the New Testament is just a one big thread of dialogue about who was this guy, Jesus Christ, you know, and what did it mean for him to die? I think we don't, we don't oftentimes think about how big of a struggle that was for the early church. Like, what does it mean for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to die? Like, what was that all about? And through, I think the guidance of the Holy Spirit is what, is what creates that thread, the inspiration mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Um, but it is, I think, what, listening to that conversation between Paul and John there uh, is very beneficial for us, especially when we're talking about what this death meant for us.
1: It's striking to me that original passion plays, the original ones end with the crucifixion now in modern america we can't stop there you know we always want to go on to the resurrection but i remember the first passion play i attended that didn't it's like you're left hanging yeah crucified dead buried and what do you do with that as i said sunday in the sermon i think people for the most part want to skip over it yeah and how do you understand the cross and there's so many different understandings of uh, what occurs at the crucifixion substitutionary atonement and Uh, uh, ransom you know the whole thing all different ways of interpreting the cross but in so many ways it means the end i mean it it, everything is ended at that moment and it's i think you need to live in that space for a while before you get to good or to easter sunday i recall a tragic tragic funeral in west point which occurred on holy saturday And it just hit me as I was standing at that graveside. This is where we live, you know, a lot of times, twixt and tween between Good Friday Mm -hmm. and Easter Sunday. Mm -hmm. And yes, we know the resurrection is coming with looking back. But for the original disciples, they didn't. I mean, this was it, you know. They were already looking to go back to their old ways of lives. And so to live in the twixt and tween with one foot on Good Friday and the other on Easter Sunday there's meaning in both of those places and again i think a lot of times we as a church won't go from palm branches to to, easter lilies
0: i do i remember Do you guys remember the passion of the christ mo gibson's passion of the christ even that ended with a little resurrection moment at the end as brutal as that movie was
1: i have a personal story about that (laughs) a good friend of mine glenn etheridge and i somehow we had been working through outreach media And we were invited up to Willow Creek in Chicago to see the rough cut of The Passion before it was released to the theater. Uh And Mel Gibson was a guest. That's awesome. And I remember, of course, Mel Gibson has his own set of beliefs and and some issues as well. But I remember somebody who was a moderator asked the question, you know, this is such a blood-soaked film. Did you think that much blood was necessary? And I remember Gibson said, every drop. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay uh, that's
2: and that's why i've never seen that movie it is intense it's
1: it's intense it's rough there's a scene i think about it now it brings me to tears and i showed it once at church and i never did it again um, of jesus carrying the cross and stumbling along the way yeah and mary his mother watching and she's having flashbacks to when he was a child falling down and and Hurting his here, knee, right?
0: We did that here just a couple years ago. I think so. Ago. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, such yeah. a powerful scene. I mean, yeah, it's, it's
1: evocative, it's poignant, but oh my goodness, it tears tears you. Yeah, tears your heart apart.
0: Whew. Well, this will be this will be released. Um, this podcast will be released on Saturday, so Black Saturday or, or Holy Saturday, as we call it. In the devotional, we just made it. Bl- we just blacked it out and said, "Jesus Christ is dead. The word has gone silent." And I think it speaks to what you're saying right there about that funeral that you did, you know, that that's idea that this is it. And this is where the Israelites were when they ripped into exile. This is the end of the world. Um, and that moment, I, I, want, I, just, I just want to encourage people who are listening to this uh, to take the moment to sit with that for just a, just a little bit um, and really reflect on what it would mean if you had been a disciple of Christ and he's gone. And you didn't really understand that he was coming back. Like, they clearly, they they were not the smartest people in the bunch. They didn't understand anything like that. And what would it mean to have had all that hope? To begin on Palm Sunday with all of that celebration. And this is where it ended up. (laughs) Well, Bill, thank you so much for being a part of our conversation today. Thank you for joining the podcast. Nick, as always, thank you. You guys got any final words? Yeah, you, you want to share anything final with the with the listening congregation before we go?
1: I was thinking about my father. He always had an annoying habit. He would read the last chapter of a book first.
0: Oh, no, you don't do it. No.
1: Well, and he said, why would I spend hours reading a book if I don't like how it ends? Yeah. <laughs> And there's a little something to that, <laughs> and because we are leaning into yeah, Easter, yeah, and you know true. we are a people that's of the true. resurrection. But yes, I agree with you. We need to spend a little time on Good Friday and Holy Saturday.
0: There's a great meme out there that's like uh, somebody's reading the Bible for the first time, and, and the meme says, or the the, the thing says, uh, "Oh man, I just started reading the Bible, and they they killed off my best, my favorite character." And then he replies to his own tweet or whatever, and it's like. Oh, they done brought him back. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: really funny. of 6 <laughs> not kind yep. Nick, you got any final words for the people? I want to I can't, but I want
0: to say happy Easter. Don't say it. <laughs> you can say it next week. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for being a part of this. And uh, Northside, we'll see you next week. Peace.